Hello from the at the Flix team. Before we start the show, I'd like to bring some important charity fundraising to your attention. Over the course of six weeks, a good friend of mine, Gary Wood, is running two full marathons and one half marathon. Gary is raising money for both a local charity, Cheltenham and Gloucester Hospitals Charity, and for Santander's partner charity, Alzheimer's Society. Cheltenham and Gloucester Hospitals Charity raises funds to make a real difference for patients, their loved ones and the staff who treat them at Gloucester Royal, Cheltenham General Hospitals and the surrounding areas. Due to kind donations, additional equipment and items were purchased that would not usually be available. And this includes funding state-of-the-art equipment such as CT scanners and digital mobile x-ray machines, COVID-19 rapid response appeal to support staff throughout the pandemic, specialist staff member roles including a research radiographer and clinical psychologist and support in the Gloucestershire Oncology Centre. Now this is very much a personal mission for Gary who has trained hard for these events. I've supported him and I hope you can too. Any donation you would like to make can be done online at uk.virginmoneygiving.com forward slash garywood9 and we will be publishing that link on our website along with our show notes. Gary, best of luck. The At The Flicks team will be cheering you on. And now, over to the show. Welcome to the latest edition of At The Flicks, your one-stop shop for movie news, interviews and reviews. Hello and welcome to Darren's Dash. This month I can promise you some great film reviews, well you'll be the judge of that, and there will be no silly golf jokes. And as we're all Europeans, I think we can try to forget about golf after the recent humbling at the hands of the Yanks at the Ryder Cup recently. Thank you for bringing sanity back to the podcast, Darren. I try. Today's Dash includes Censor, The Last Movie Star and Malignant. To discuss these films with Darren and me, Jeff, Graham and Phil. Now, without any further ado, it's over to Darren. Film number one this week is Censor, a movie I've been really excited for for a long time. It's a British movie directed by Prano Bailey Bond, which I hope I've pronounced right. And it's set in a time which is very near and dear to my heart because I live through it. It's set in the 80s during the video nasty panic that hung over very young at the time video rental craze. People think that I create horror. Horror is already out there in all of us. The film revolves around a young woman who works for the BBFC and it's her job to watch films and deem if they are suitable for release on video and to recommend cuts to any violent content that she finds in them. Now she becomes the centre of controversy when a film that she passed is blamed for inciting a man to kill his family. This also comes at a time when a film she is reviewing triggers memories surrounding the disappearance of her sister when she was a child. This leads to her digging deeper into the world of video nasty productions, believing that this particular film may hold the key to what actually happened to her missing sister. Before I start talking about this film, I've got to say, I find it really sad that another film that I saw recently, The Night House, which I thought was as dull as Ditch Watcher, got a several week run with screenings about three times a day. Yet Censor, which is a brilliant original and British film, only got one week at the cinema and only got one screening a day in the 9pm death slot. I've got to say, though, this, in a funny sort of way, helped with the vibe of the film for me. When I went to see this at nine o'clock, it kind of felt like it had a real cult-like atmosphere for me to see this film. And it also really fitted in well with the aesthetic of a film set in the 80s, surrounding the murky world of the video nasties. Now, Censor is absolutely wonderful. It's one of those films that really speaks out to my um, love of film because this was at a time that my film um, passion was really going ballistic because it was at the time of a video rental uh, age. I was being exposed to all these movies. And there was always a really sort of seedy, gritty side to the video rentals of the 80s. And this film catches it perfectly. 
it's got this downbeat style to it. There's something that feels like it's shot on old style film and a combination of videotapes as well. And it feels authentic, especially when it's presenting the, the tackiness and the excesses of the of the video nasties, which Enid, the woman in this film, is reviewing. The thing about this film is that there is so much going on in the background, but it highlights to the viewer what the politics was like behind the outcry against the video industry without actually making this the main story because the story is very much about Enid and her obsessions with what happened to her sister and her own basically obsessions with that and the dissent and struggles that she has which may be leading to a mental breakdown with her struggling and her desire to reach some sort of closure on the trauma of what's happened to her in her youth. And how it's also how this is affecting and shaping her work, how it, the investigations into the production of one particular film that she may feel holds the clues to what happened to her sister. And the thing about love about uh, this film is it's massively thought-provoking. It's not only about the 80s and the effects on violence and on viewers, and also that sort of really weird feeling that these people can sort of sit in a room and watch nothing but violent movies all day and it doesn't affect them. But we, the general public, aren't able to do the same ourselves. It's it's about the scapegoating that goes on with popular culture, something that has gone on for decades. And how people constantly fall for this. One of the big key points it raises in this film is how uh, the video nasties at the 80s were being blamed for all of society's problems, yet at the same time, totally ignored the Tory cuts at the time that was really worsening the poverty problem. It was like, again, films, video games, music, they're all easy scapegoats. And this film touches on that. The great thing about this film, though, is it is constantly messing with your head. You're wondering quite what is going on because you've seen everything through Enid's eyes and you're wondering if she's writing her suspicions about this movie, if what she's seen on the film is in fact what something to do with uh, her sister, or is this just a, another man- manifestation of her trauma? And it's also cast some doubts on whether or not Enid had something to do with the disappearance of her sister herself. It really plays with your head. And it's also a completely wild, in a really entertaining manner. It gets very violent at times, it gets very bloody, and there's also some dark humour that's constantly playing with the audience. And one of the things about this film is, throughout when you're watching it, the subtle clues as to what is actually go- going on. It's the sort of film that I think, if you actually watch this a second time, which I intend to do in the future now that it's um, on video on demand, I think you will notice more and more stuff as, as it goes along. I thought this was an absolutely splendid movie. Really fun, really trippy in places and very concise. It's actually under 90 minutes, but also had this wonderful British grimy tone to it. It was, for me, one of the top British films of the year so far. Thanks for that, Darren. Normally I'd ask people if they'd seen this film, but I want to pick up on something else you said in your review. You weren't that enamoured with a film called The Night House. Now, I read Phil's review on this, and Phil was like... You know, not only glowing in it, he was trying to persuade me to get to see it, but unfortunately I couldn't. And I want your take on the Nighthouse film before I go on to ask you your thoughts on Censor. Well, yeah, so I saw Darren sort of tweeted about the cinema screenings and what have you. And, he, you know, he's right. I, I went to see Nighthouse at my local. I had to travel to see this. And there was no one else there because it was on at nine o'clock, actually, surprisingly enough. Um, <laughs> I thought the Nighthouse was phenomenally good. Again, we talked about it on the review show and and we talk about it whenever we argue about horror films. The Nighthouse has this ability to have this whole idea of is it somebody's trauma or is it something supernatural? And I resonated with the idea in The Nighthouse, which is about that fear of what happens when you die and is that it? Or is there something else? And can you ever really know someone? The Nighthouse is about a woman whose husband has committed suicide. She doesn't understand why. Was there a secret? Was was there something else he was hiding from her? And is that it? Is, is his life completely over? Or is there some remnant of him that lives on and what have you? And, and I really 
resonated with that fear. Um, I really resonated with the way that they did it. And I thought that the lead, Rebecca Hall, I thought she was phenomenally good in it. I would say that it's one of the best performances in a horror film because there's some stuff in that film where if she doesn't get it right, she's going to look stupid. It's this sort of supernatural element there. And I really, really enjoyed it. I didn't think it was dull at all. But Sensor is a better film. I think that it's a different film. No, and I'll come to Sensor in a moment. But the reason I brought that up is when we did our main review show the other day, we spoke about Candyman and we had extremely different reviews on that as well. And what I like about horror movies is it almost brings out extremes in reviewing as well as extremes of what you see on screen. I'm fascinated that Darren had one view in it and you had a completely different view in it. I haven't seen it, so I can't comment. Neither have I seen Sensor. But but you say Sensor's a, a better film than Nighthouse. So The Nighthouse is a much more traditional horror film. Things that go bump in the night and, and jump scares are, are, are sort of prevalent. Sensor is a much more cerebral film. Darren mentioned it. There's bits where they've shot the film using 35mm Super 8 and VHS film stock. And they do that because aspects of the film are them watching films and they kind of use the relevant stock to denote what, what's happening at the time. And they get like this grainy imagery. They have you know, the tape crackling and glitches that you'd see on old VHS and stuff like that. But again, um, Darren mentioned it. The film that you could loosely uh, relate it to is American Psycho because Patrick Bateman's character is slowly unravelling and kind of having a psychotic break. And there's like this whole thing of what's in his mind and what's happening. And that to some extent, that's true of the main character in Sensor. And Darren mentioned about her trauma that she suffered and how that impacted her and how that's impacting, you know, what she's doing. And this whole idea of she is watching all these horrible films on a daily basis and it is triggering those memories and it is impacting her it's a really good really slow burn really interesting film and i might have to defer to graham but the lead actress whose name i believe is sanim or neve algar so she was in she was the lead in raised by wolves and she was in a film called calm with horses and she's the lead in this and she's just brilliant. There's scenes, some of the most brilliant scenes are just watching her watching a film and her facial expressions. She's just such a big star. I hope she goes on to do a lot more you know, films and you know, it sort of really breaks out. Yeah, I really, really enjoyed it. Darren, last word to you. Again, this is just... For, for for me, an, an amazing an amazing movie. I mean, I I obviously not even consider the uh, the American Psycho analogy, but it is it is pretty much like that for for many different reasons, especially because you're not sure what's going on in her head at times, and and also like, there's a lot of ambiguity about what's going on. But there's also a strong political sense of of the stuff that was going on at, at the time, and I think. This will play really well, not not just with horror fans, because they'll probably be able to relate to this video nasty era, but also anybody who was going to video shops at the, at the time. You know, there's this times when she visits video stores and there was always that little seedy feel to some of them, like almost like an underground movement. And, and that really sort of captures it. But, but there's, there's so much going on and she's, you know, she, you know, she's such a great character. And yeah, and, they, and again, it feels like, an authentic, you know, movie. There's a lot going on in there. Do you think Graham could watch it? Uh, no. no. No, thank you. I saw the trailer again when I went to see Old. This was one of the trailers, and I said to Jeff at the time, this is really quite terrifying. No, I, I believe you said at the time I needed to change my trousers. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So yeah. of the films that we've talked about, he probably cope with Candyman there's absolutely yeah. no way he could watch the night house or this. <laughs> right. Okay, fair enough. We Swiftly you. move on then. What's your next one, Darren? Okay, so the next one is a, uh, a film called um, Herself. I want to build a house. These are some of the vacant sites that you have. You see, if you lend me the money 
and let me use a site, then I could have that built for me and my kids. I'm really sorry. I can't help you with this. I have designed a house that costs just 35,000 euros to build. Sandra, why didn't you ask me? Your mother was far more than a cleaner to me. She was a friend. It's land going to waste. Use it. Build a house for you and your girls. And this one is a, a very low-key movie, directed by uh, Philidia Lloyd. It's about a mother of two girls who has suffered some horrific violent abuse at the hands of her husband. And after this, she's forced to flee with her children and she's forced to live in a sheltered accommodation in an airport hotel. But in this film, she's desperately trying to uh, get her life back on track. She's desperate to get some housing for her and her kids. And the authorities are completely failing her at every level. And one day on the internet, she comes up with the idea of securing some land and actually proactively building a house of her own when she finds out that this sort of kit house building is something that's going on. And so she dreams to build a house by herself. Now, this is a very emotional movie on so many levels. And in this film, we see the daily life of Sandra and we follow her around as she's having to juggle a really repressive job and she's having to balance that with the countless meetings that she's having to have with authorities and having to like look after her kids and also having to deal with her ex-husband who still has access to the children and she's constantly having to drop the kids off with him and the, one of the kids is really scared of the dad so she's having to deal with that and when the, when the kid won't go to the dad she's getting the blame for that. It's a film that makes you really, really angry, as it should, because you've got a husband there who has done the most appalling things to her, and yet the law constantly seems to be on his side. Every stage she's being downtrodden. There's just little things like at the hotel that she's staying in, she's not allowed to go through the front door. She has to go around with the back way. It's almost this stigma. The, the film does a really good job of depraying what her day-to-day life is like. It's also very hopeful as well because Sandra finds kindness from strangers. She or she convinces to help her out and she gets this like weird little uh, community surrounding her, pretty much outcasts and these odd characters who are giving up their time to help her achieve her dream and uh, build her own. And there's times when you're welling up with anger at the uh, hardships that she's got, but other times when you're absolutely sort of like, you know, really proud of her because she's been proactive. She's helping herself and helping her kids. I have to say, though, there are a few absolute kicks to the stomach in this movie. There's no denying that. It's a film that has its heart in the right place. Sometimes you say that there is a little bit of a romanticism uh, about the, uh, you know, the, the amount of help that she that she receives and things. But it's very well-meaning throughout Claire Dunn, who stars in this, actually co-wrote this, and she's just absolutely wonderful in, in this role. She was really natural. At times, it's got that no man land feel to it, where it's almost like you're just sort of following a, a real person around and just in this sort of like, you know, little snippets to see what her daily life is like and just her trying to make a better life for herself. It's a very socially conscious movie. It highlights the problems that, um, you know, that single women have and also the fights that they have to, to go through, you know, particularly you know, ones who are competing with abusive spouses who, again, like I say, they seem to have all the rights. This is a film that I was on the fence about seeing. And it just happened to be that I was leaving one showing of a film and this was starting. So while I was there, I just thought I'd you know sit in and watch it. And I'm glad I did because this film absolutely knocked the hell out of me. It's a really emotional movie on many levels, both good and bad. But this is an absolutely amazing film. I was absolutely blown away by it. It's really good. I've seen, I've seen a lot of film, uh, reviews that sort of felt it was a lot of melodrama to it, but I, I, I didn't think that a bit, a bit, a bit at all. I, I just thought this was like a, a really well-made good drama. It sounds very powerful. I'd certainly watch it. Phil, have you seen it? This is an odd one, actually, because this was an unlimited screening at Cineworld. And so, and I tend to, if I can make it, I'll go to any unlimited screening. I knew nothing about this, nothing. So when it started, the opening sort of 10, 15 minutes really sum up 
the highs and lows of how this makes you feel. So it opens up with Sandra joyfully dancing with her kids to Sia's song Chandelier. And it's really joyful, like, you know, mother and two daughters having the time of their lives. And then her husband comes home and it's just grim. It's just so horrible and it's really, really hard to watch. And that kind of sums up the film. It's got this these joyful highs and these brutal lows. And it manages to give this powerful and emotional journey with a really dark subject matter, but it still gives you hope and it has an uplifting sort of message in there about community. But I'm really, really glad that I managed to see it at that on the screening because I don't think this actually got anywhere near my local cinema when it was actually released. So I'm glad that I took that single opportunity to watch it. I agree with everything Darren said. I don't don't think it's melodramatic at all. I just thought it was, you know, it's a really emotional film that has some real highs and real lows. Yeah, definitely. I'm putting this one on the list. This sounds great. Not a fun watch, but something that's important. Well, Philadelphia Lloyd directed a film about one of your heroes, so I'm not surprised you'll be rushing to see it. She directed The Iron Lady. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, good grief! Right, okay. Uh, um, I, I do That's find another it... punch in the face for that one, Jeff. <laughs> I do find it intriguing, Darren, that a, uh, a person who directs Mamma Mia and the Iron Lady goes on and does something as gut wrenching as this. Again, I haven't seen it. it. It's definitely on my list to watch, but that's a, a turnabout, surely. It's penance, isn't it? To remove the stain on her soul of doing the Iron Lady and Mamma Mia. Well, first of all, I love that. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, but yeah, I mean, this shows what sort of, you know, what, you know, talented directors do. They, they have, you know, they shouldn't really be sort of fitting like, you know, one particular genre or, or, or little pocket, you know, just, just because somebody has um, success with a... Uh, a, a really feel-good, um, loud film like Mamma Mia. I've got three dads coming to my wedding, and I have to tell two of them are surplus, only which two. You dance, you dance. Why can't they then basically just sort of, you know, take that and, and use it to to um, highlight you know, oh, something very really no. personal to them? Don't get me wrong, it's just it's unusually done. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah. I think that's sometimes maybe the the freedom that you also get if when you agree to do like a really small little independent movie like this but mm. tell sort of stories that you really need to be that really need to be told and i'm guessing as well the fact that the fact that she did mamma mia gave her a little bit of weight and a little bit of uh, you know fame but she was able to um choose this project and, and get this this going i'm sure that her success in other genres helped her to make this movie what can you follow that up with then darren Okay, so the uh, the third movie is actually a film that's uh, dropped on Amazon Prime in the UK, uh, but it's it's a film which is a few years old. It's called The Last Movie Star, directed by Adam Rifkin. Well, you're being honoured. You'll be presented with a Lifetime Achievement Award. So what? Look who the previous winners are. Robert De Niro, Jack Nicholson, and Clint Eastwood. What the hell is this? This is the festival. Welcome to Nashville. Oh, my gosh. Mr. Edwards, I can't tell you how excited we are to have you here. How are you? Thank you for coming to the film festival. Let's get you over the red carpet. What the hell are you even here? Because Clinton, Jack, and Bobby De Niro are one. You are the only one stupid enough to show up. An audience will forgive a shitty act, too, if you can wow in act three. The Hollywood Critics Association awarded you Best Newcomer of the Year. That's the only time I ever agreed with a critic. <laughs> now, I remember seeing a trailer for this several years ago, and it, and it sort of was one I was really interested in seeing. And then nothing really seemed to come of it. It just, it, it never came across any cinemas that I was watching. Completely failed to get to see it. And thankfully, it's just landed on Amazon Prime. The film is uh, starring Burt Reynolds, and he's an ageing, frail former movie star called Vic. Now, Vic gets invited to a local film festival in Nashville who are honouring his career with a marathon of his movies and wanting to give him a, a Lifetime Achievement Award. 
he agrees to go to this thinking it might be sort of you know a, a bit of fun and also that he'll be able to bask in his past glories. And he gets frustrated from the start because the plane ticket that he gets is isn't first class, it's coach. His accommodation is a really cheap hotel. And when he's expecting a limo to pick him up at the airport, he's actually picked up by a scatty goth girl who's driving a rundown car. And the festival itself, when he gets there, is actually in the back room of a bar in front of an audience of about 20 young film nerds. It's not what he expects at all. He gets down and depressed and he ends up getting really, really drunk. And at the question and answer, he starts being rude to the festival people there. And he actually thinks that the people there have invited him on this trip to make fun of him. But he manages to convince his driver, the golf girl, to take him on a road trip to nearby Tennessee where he grew up so that he can revisit a few of his old haunts and reflect upon his life. Now, I've got to say, there is absolutely nothing new in this film. It's the typical story of someone who's disillusioned with life, but goes on a road trip with a younger person and the two of them help each other along the way and him giving her his life experience and her rekindling his joy to live. It's the sort of story we have seen a thousand times before. Why this film was really connected with me and why it was really special is that it's Burt Reynolds. And it's not just starring Burt Reynolds, but this film is actually about Burt Reynolds. The character of Vic is very clearly Burt Reynolds. His whole backstory is the one of of Burt Reynolds, who was this great star who made this massive Hollywood impact. And then his career, through his own sort of um, bad choices in movie roles, took a complete and utter downturn. And the, the cool thing about this film is it uses the young Burt Reynolds in this movie throughout. Whenever you see posters of him from his youth, it's basically him being like in Smoking the Bandit or other films like that. And there's even several scenes in this where the old Burt Reynolds is superimposed into films like Smoking the Bandit and The Deliverance, and he gets to talk to his younger self, tries to warn his younger self that he's going to make mistakes in the years to come. It's all very, very meta, but it's also oddly moving and works really, really well because of it. And I think it's really fitting as well um, that Burt Reynolds uh, at this time was very, very frail. And you could tell that this was going to be one of the last films that he made. And for him to make this retrospective film sort of thing, I thought was important cap to his career. This film, I was surprised, got mixed reviews. And I've got to say, I really, really enjoyed it. I found it really moving. It was tough in places. There's certain scenes when he... um, like uh, visits his uh, first wife, who is the one who he laments on the fact that she was the one that really loved him as opposed to all the the starlets that came in and out of his life. Now that she's suffering from dementia, so she barely recognises him. But there's also a lot of sort of levity in it as well. He he forms a buddy partnership with the young girl, Lil, and you get the chance that this is basically Vic's last hurrah. This is the last chance for him to um, have some fun in his life and also make some peace. I actually personally think that Burt Reynolds, the real Burt Reynolds, has got one of the ultimate Hollywood stories about how he was sort of his massive star and the, into obscurity and did these like really, really poor choices for, for movies. He's got a fascinating career. And I thought this was absolutely wonderful. The ending, some might think, was very was very sentimental. I thought it was absolutely feel good and had a real moving gravitas to it. As a Burt Reynolds fan, this really spoke to me in a lot of ways and I absolutely loved it. Again, I haven't seen it. I like Reynolds' stuff. I think the the problem with Reynolds is he felt he never had to market his films worldwide. If you compare his career with Clint Eastwood, Eastwood mm. always went out and marketed worldwide. Reynolds felt he didn't have to do that, and that, I think, was part of his downfall. But he made some great films along the way, there's no doubt about it, and I, I would like to see this. Graham, I know you haven't seen it. Phil, have you seen it? Yeah, and it's actually one of the good things about this show, because obviously... You let me know what Darren's looking to watch and I do my best to watch them because I love films. And I'd never heard of this. And actually, when you told me about it, I was like, wow, this sounds great. And I think I watched it almost within a few hours of you telling me that this was one of the films. I really liked this and, I, and I've just sort of hedged my bets slightly on, on it. So Graham and, and Jeff, you're going to love this film and you have to watch it. This is a film for people who like Burt Reynolds 
or just like Hollywood, like films, because this is a sentimental journey about Burt Reynolds. And the only thing that's wrong with it is that it's kind of wrapped up in this clunky comedy that doesn't really work. So those mixed reviews that Darren talked about, I can get that because if you don't care for Burt Reynolds or know who he is or, you know, you're not fussed, or you're not really into the sort of mythology of Hollywood, I don't think you're going to get this. But this film is all about an actor who's reminiscing and meditating on the mistakes that he made, but not in a bad way, in like, you know, he made those mistakes, but he wouldn't change it. He He loves what he did and he loves his life. There's one particular scene when he's on this road trip. The the goth girl, by the way, is the young woman from Modern Family. And I could not believe it was her because like she looks so fundamentally different because she's so wholesome in Modern Family and so not wholesome. I think she's the first time you meet her in this, she's effing and blinding as much as she possibly can. But there's a scene on a football field, and I made a note of the quote, it's fun being a movie star, but nothing compares to being a football star. This whole thing about he's Vic, whatever, you know, Hollywood actor, it is, it's not that, it's just this is Burt Reynolds' life and it's about him. And that sentimental ending that Darren talked about, it's amazing. The, the idea that Burt Reynolds, for me, got his Hollywood ending gave me such a warm, fuzzy feeling. And that final shot is just fantastic. You guys are going to love it. But I'll just caveat again. If you don't know who Burt Reynolds is, you're not interested in his career and you're not interested in Hollywood, you're not going to find it great because the comedy stuff that's around it isn't great. It's pretty average. And if it was good, this would be an amazing swan song for him. I mean, there's a real tragedy to Reynolds. Mm. I mean, films like Hustle, Sharky's Machine... To a certain extent, Hooper, Starting Over, Paternity, are all pretty much forgotten today. And they're great films. A number of those he directed as well. Yeah. Well, and and that perhaps sums it up because this film will be forgotten. But it's it's got a bit of magic to it as well. Oh, right. Uh, yeah, I'm done. It's, this has gone straight to the top of my list. You know, as his career went downhill, he became more and more difficult to work with, which doesn't help, and that compounds the whole problem. So if you look at some of the stuff on Switch and channels, neither Kathleen Turner or Christopher Reeve had anything good to say about him. And it's a real shame from the guy, you know, that made those films in the 70s, was really in the top of his game, not only as an actor, but as a director. And it just turned shit on him. And I, I think that's just so depressing. It's strange because he actually did make a, a great comeback with uh, Boogie Nights, and then and but he didn't really sort yes. of build, build up on that. I, I remember was it was it was striptease after Boogie Nights, which and that sort of yeah. really, you know because people saw that film and they were like horrified with what he'd sort of with the plastic surgery and things that he'd done to himself. He he still had it in him late in his career. But he just like you know, it's almost as if he it was just like you know, just just a, a, some made really not the sort of choices where like self destructive drink and booze choices, but just just bad career choices. But another thing that I, I want to, to to point out about the film is it's also a homage to being a film fan. One of the things about this film is Burt Reynolds, his character, he sees everything from the Hollywood making of movie. But I think he by the end of this film. He sees the younger people, the, the the joy that he has brought to film fans, and I think that is kind of an, an eye opener that where he's bitter because Hollywood has basically eaten him up. He sees that he's also left a legacy that has entertained and people and the the film nerds themselves. There's even though they have this like glorified crap film festival in the back of a bar, their passion for what they're doing gets really infectious. So I think it works on two levels of showing the, the Hollywood side, the cynical side, but also the fact that they do that because people love what they do. Fair enough. And uh, yeah, like Graham, it's gone to the top of my list. Anyway, yeah. let's go back to a bit of horror. Darren, with your next one. Oh, great. Yeah. So first, of all, I just want to say that this is dedicated to a friend of mine called Georgina, who 
is a big horror fan. She's got a really way out taste like Kaya. She's a really big fan of trauma movies. So the first person I contacted after I'd seen this film was her to see her thoughts. And she absolutely loved it, which I was not surprised by. This is Malignant, directed by James Wan. The body of Dr. Florence Weaver was found brutally murdered in her home this morning. Did you know her? No, but I saw her die. I'm seeing things. I'm seeing murders as they're happening. He says his name is Gabriel. I think he's someone from my past. Maddie, who are you talking to? Gabriel. Is he your imaginary friend? Imaginary Imaginary He's the devil. It's kind of like a bit of a sort of belief about this film that this was Warner Brothers' reward to James Wan for doing Aquaman and getting over a billion dollars that they sort of pretty much gave him carte blanche to make whatever film he wanted. And I hope that is true because I love the idea of James Wan basically getting this sort of like this blank slate to do whatever he wanted and him just thinking, I'm going to do some weird shit now because this film is absolutely bonkers it's incredible i honestly don't think i've enjoyed a film as much i'm not saying this is the best film not by a long shot but i have not in sat there and just been so enjoying a film like this one all year i'm going to try and do this without spoilers but if you are interested in seeing this film i would say stop and go and see this film i, I went into this film absolutely blind I'd actually seen a trailer for this film and not even realised that it was to do with this. The trailer was so uninspiring and generic horror movie. This film is great. It starts off pre-credits in a psychiatric hospital where a dangerous patient is going on a rampage and the hospital staff are fighting to subdue and keep this patient, or you don't actually see, under control. And it's an amazing scene. We then skip forward 27 years later to a woman who is living in Seattle and she's in an abusive relationship with a uh, real arsehole boyfriend who's beating her. It soon becomes clear that there is an entity invading her life, which, as the story progresses, may have some sort of connection to what happened in that mental home rampage all those years ago. And that's all I want to say about this film, because what the great film about this film is it is absolutely batshit insane. And the less you know going in, the greater the surprises are of this film. It's a very devices film, I've got to say. There are those who absolutely mock it and hate it. And I've even heard this has been called the, um, the, uh, the horror version of The Room, which I think is completely ridiculous and then there's other people like me who have just embraced this film what it is and absolutely love the madness and the craziness in it the thing about this film is it is constantly changing of what you think it is when it starts off you're thinking that this is like a supernatural film like the conjuring and then next you're thinking that this is a stalker movie and then it's more like a nightmare on Elm Street um, slasher with a really sort of outlandish, um, horrific character. Then it starts to go as if it's kind of like an X-Men-like superpower movie. Then it turns into an action film. Then it becomes a martial arts film. There's even like little bits of elements of The Matrix in there. It's totally preposterous in places. But if you're letting a thing like logic or even good storytelling getting away on this, then you're watching the wrong film. And also, one of the complaints, I've read I've read a lot of reviews about this film, and the one constant that I keep hearing is people coming out with the old, um, that tonally it's all over the place. Anyone thinking of that, I just switch off with, because if you think that, you are missing the entire point of this movie. It, the funny thing about it is, it's a very weirdly filmed movie as well. At the time, I was trying to work out if it was kind of deliberately trying to be cheesy. It's got a lot of, particularly in the opening scene, there's a lot of dodgy dialogue, a lot of strange camera moments. You feel like you're watching a homage to 80s low-budget action movies, the sort of films that you would see that Canon make. It's shot very much like that. And and, and so much of it that I... I, I couldn't believe that even even the humor and the cheesy gags i couldn't believe that these were by accident they must have been deliberate there was a time in the film when i when i 
thought, and rather wrongly it turns out, that this was going to be one of these films that's a movie within a movie. There were certain scenes where I thought at some point somebody's going to yell cut and we're going to find out that we've actually been watching somebody make a movie and that never actually happened. But it's just so insane. There's some like really weird dramatic musical cues which are completely over the top. But they're just brilliant. It's just an insane movie. Well, one of the things that I will say about this film is that I've heard that there's a uh, that there's been people walking out halfway through this movie, just absolutely hating it. And those people missed out on probably some of the most jaw-dropping moments in a third act in a movie ever. There's, there's, there's some people that will laugh at some of the, the movies, the things in this, in this film, which are totally ridiculous. I personally just applaud it just for absolutely being embracing ex- uh, excessiveness. It's just, it's an absolutely thrilling movie. I'm being very vague here, but there are so many moments in this film which are just completely over the top and bizarre. And you think, what the hell am I watching? But they're great. It's absolutely wonderful. And this is the most fun I have had in, in the cinema for a long time. Some people are just going to like mock it and think it's complete and utter rubbish. But I think it's actually, I, I think that this could end up being a real cult classic. I think this, this is a film which has got complete legs. I think this is a film that, you know, in years to come, people, just by word of mouth and infamy, people will be wanting to watch just to check it out. And I think it's going to find a real sort of cult audience 10 years from now. I think of all the films we've been watching, I think this will have, I think there's going to be maybe midnight screenings and things like that. I think this film is just so unlike anything that you will see this year. I think it's absolutely wonderful. So this is the one of the five I have seen. Graham insisted I watch it. Um, <laughs> On your if you own. haven't seen the film, jump forward two minutes because I am going to be talking about the end. Don't ruin it, Jeff. I'm not going to ruin it directly, but I am going to... Tangentially. Certain things I'm going to reference are going to give you hints as to where it goes. You've seen it, Phil. Graham yeah. hasn't, and Graham's never going to see it, so it doesn't really matter on here. But for anybody else, jump forward a couple of minutes. Right, okay. So this film has a gooey centre. And by gooey, I don't mean gore. I mean, it's too soft. It's trying to be a 70s horror movie. Darren, I take your points about the camera shots. Those are very much what De Palma was doing in the 70s, which in itself was a copy of Hitchcock. So that's what he was trying to do. What they were trying to sell was the Italian movies, the Agendos, the Bravo movies of that times, And it missed that by a mile. It is essentially a meld together of De Palma's sisters and Larry Cohen's It's Alive. It's those two films melded together. I wasn't shocked by anything. I think it signposted everything it was trying to do because I grew up on those movies. It was copying. The ending of the film really annoyed me because if it was true to its roots, everybody in that room in the end would have been dead, either killed by whatever, I won't spoil that, or by their own hand. It sets it up interestingly, but cops out, is my view on it. I thought some of the performances were good. It just didn't go where I would have expected it to go for that sort of genre movie. I ruined it, Jeff. It's so much fun. It's just such a fun film. Have you Um, seen Sisters and It's Alive? I haven't. No, I have not seen those. I ha- I've only seen a few Italian horror films. Uh, well, no, no, they're the... American. No, the Italian horror film is, is bollocks because it, it, it might say it was trying to do that. <laughs> but it missed that by a mile. It, it really was copying American cinema and badly copying it at that. The way I saw it. So, yes, it's doing lots of homages to like these 70s horrors. I, I, the ones you referenced, I don't recognise, but... You know, there's plenty of mainstream horror films. I think it's you know copying as well. You know, it's got quite a lot of the tropes. You know, scary houses, abandoned mental asylums, grisly murders, you know, electronics that go haywire. You know, all that sort of stuff. But the way I would describe it is more that this is a director who is famous for the horror franchises Saw, Insidious, and The Conjuring. But he's also famous for doing Fast and Furious 7 and Aquaman, which are these big, brash, crazy blockbusters. Now, if you take those 
slick horror modern films saw insidious and um the conjuring which are really well put together design horror films and then you combine that with the bonkers blockbuster nature of fast and furious 7 and aquaman you get malignant because what he's done is he's made a blockbuster horror film and it goes to crazy places and it does like bonkers stupid things that the opening scene that Darren mentioned, the what I, the thing I would liken it to the most, I don't know if any of you have seen it, is Garth Marenghi's Dark Place, yeah. which in itself yes. Yes. Was, a, was doing a parody of those 70s and 80s horror films. And he absolutely is doing that on purpose, and he's just pushing it to the limit. I just thought it was so much fun. And I think that, you know, all these things Darren was mentioning about people walking out or not liking it and all that sort of stuff, it's because what he's done is he's basically taken a horror film, he's dialed it up to 11, he's gone for a supremely exaggerated tone and this blockbuster crazy any any shit can happen. And he's just, like, gone for this wild ride. I thought it was just so, so much fun. And again, anybody listening, jump forward another minute because I'm going to add logic back into this now, Darren, oh, because logic was something it really didn't have. And it doesn't need to have logic. Have but no, no. Okay, you say it doesn't need to have logic, but let me explain this to you then, right? Just jump forward. Spoiler, major spoiler alert. It has conjoined twins, right, of different sexes. That is physically impossible. Oh, conjoined God. twins are always of the same sex. Oh, yeah, but that—that that is like the most oh. bonkers thing you can bring to a discussion about a horror movie, right? Because the entire concept of the film is impossible. So, does it matter that it's impossible for the, for the biological yeah. thing you just well, said? They can, like... they can join twins. You, you <laughs> can't have con- well, and, and... yeah, but it's like, look, right? Okay, so we're going to go. Let's go Nightmare on Elm Street, right? Right. Okay. You, you know, it's impossible for somebody who died to appear in teenagers' dreams and murder them whilst they're in their dreams. Yeah, that we so... know of, Phil. That we know of. <laughs> <laughs> you, you don't argue that Nightmare on Elm Street is rubbish because that's not possible, do but you? It's fantasy. Right, and this is starting from a place of, okay, we're going to have this whole thing of twins no, as, no, as a starting not. point. It starts with a scene from 1993 with the most crazy batshit acting and like heightened sense of nonsense, and it's like purposely ridiculous. So you can't then go well. Logically, that wouldn't have happened. Well, no, I mean, there's, if you want there's logic, some, right? Let's not massive... logic, right? My, my one thing in horror movies I really hate, really hate this, is you hear a noise in your house, so you got to investigate without turning on the fucking lights. You must have absolutely oh, hated the fact that that mental asylum, when it shut down, left oh, all I know. No, that was, in the basement. By that time, by that time, I was <laughs> accepting it, right? Because uh, <laughs> I, I wanted to know the combined income of that couple to buy a house like that in the first place, because that was well outside of their financial means. Let's talk about the sitcom Friends, where people who have no real jobs own massive apartments in Manhattan. I never, mean, come on. Never never seen friends, middle class crap. Um, <laughs> uh, Darren, you're quiet there. <laughs> yeah. Uh, this Jeff, you're like my dad who basically whenever I used to watch Star Wars <laughs> Whenever we used to watch Star Wars, I'm a bit where the X-Wing fighters are flying and they're going to, the, the wings kind of expand into uh, X mode or whatever it is. My dad would always point out that that wouldn't make a difference to ships flying in space. It wouldn't help with another day. It's like, shut up, And dad, it's it true, cool. and it's right, Darren. And it doesn't, no, no. Films, <laughs> films are fantasy. They don't have to be realistic. I remember somebody wrote a book once about Jurassic Park and the entire book was just pointing out why Jurassic Park wasn't possible because all the science was wrong and how you couldn't basically transfer a frog DNA and thing. And it's like, who bloody cares? If you had that attitude, every single film would be like Coronation Street. People don't want realism in movies. Now, now, want to, to, be fair, to, be, to be fair on that, Darren, when I read Jurassic Park well before it, before it was a film, uh, I was like think, sitting reading this book thinking, 
bloody hell do you reckon they could do that so it, it took me in the conjoined twins really annoyed me that's the bit that you really sort of didn't like was they played around with the no, whole concept well, of no, no I think uh, okay all, all seriousness all seriousness what I didn't like is it was too soft rather than 70s hard and I think as I said at the end of that film in that room nobody would have come out alive. Did you not see the film where she slaughtered over the police and where she slaughtered over the uh, the women in the prison? Did you not see those moments? She and killed where, a where, couple of she was, so what? Where she was standing um, oh. in the face constantly. At the end yeah, of it, but... it's all about the emotional connection of these people and they built a strong family. And in a, a 70s movie, everybody in that room would have been dead at the end. And I but think this they wasn't really a 70s, out by, but as much as it was a 70s movie, as much as it was a 70s movie, it was also an 80s movie. Because a lot of the stuff in there, the, the you know, the, the stuff like the, the sister who turns up at the hospital dressed as a fairy, creates her job. That was straight out of 80s movies. That's the sort of thing that you were getting like straight to video films, unlike the first sort of films that Canon were moving. So it's a homage to that genre as well. I, I mean, I would just say, don't listen to Jeff. Yeah. Listen to Darren and I. It's so much fun. We came, we saw, we kicked its ass. And I think that is the perfect way to end it. One thing I'll just say, this is not the sort of film that you'll go into to be a critic. It's a film where you have to basically just go in there to have a laugh, and that's what this film is. If you go in there as a a film critic to discuss the consistent tone and stuff like that, you're not going to like it. But if you're going to have a laugh, you will. The thing is, I watched all these films in the 70s, and it's not about being a critic, because trust me, in the 70s, and even now, horror films are looked down on. I don't look down on horror films. I just think that this film, Mr. Trick, is is my personal thing. I accept that you and Phil are very different on this. I think the proof of this is we get Graham to watch it, and we get his <laughs> feedback on to what he thinks. I'm still confused, because apparently... Leia and Luke were conjoined, and uh, <laughs> and Darren's got two no. dads. How did that come out? They weren't conjoined. <laughs> what? what? No, they said? were just twins. Well, I'm sure. I'm sure Darren said you were his dad. You said something about Star Wars, but I wasn't paying attention. No, no. You, then, <laughs> uh, we'll talk about. X-Men so, are you going to watch *Malignant* then and come in back on this? Yeah, yeah, I'll watch Malignant when hell freezes over. Yeah. Well, there we go. So, listeners, give it a try. Obviously, the overwhelming opinion is Darren and Phil's. Mine is different. So I really would like anybody watching this to give us their views, and uh, let's see what they got to say. Okay, controversy over. Final film, Darren. Okay, so the last one, uh, thankfully, is uh, Our Ladies. <laughs> it's a... Um... <laughs> which is a Scottish film directed by Michael Caton-Jones. It was a different time then, before social media and mobile phones changed everything forever. It was 1996. Some of you are going to Edinburgh for the first time today. You will carry yourselves with grace. But I must warn you, there are men there that would use and discard girls like you. Yes, Fenella? See, when you say use and discard, sister, how do you mean? (laughs) And this one is about a group of girls at a uh, Catholic school in a remote village in Scotland who get the chance to compete in a choir competition final in Edinburgh. This is not a feel-good movie about reaching your dreams and and basically winning a uh, choir competition. It's actually about a group of girls who decide to use this opportunity to go out for the day, to drink, to party, and ultimately their goal is to get laid with any lads they can get their hands on. Uh, But throughout the... (laughs) And that is pretty much... We can send Neil in there. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) And it is also and a it's comic- not just lads, though, is it? It's lasses as well. Oh, yes, lasses, lasses as well, yeah. yeah. And uh, it's also been a coming-of-age movie. There are a lot of revelations and changes to the girls' friendships that comes to the fore. It's a, basically a coming-of-age movie, but one that absolutely pulls no punches. The, the six girls that it follows are wild, absolutely uh, hungry for sex. It's wild at the start. 
I've got to admit, I started to get bored at the start and thinking that this was going to just become a bit too much because it's funny to begin with. But when when these um, when these girls are constantly uh, coming out with uh, foul mouth stuff, they've got this like, sort of like um, gang mentality to them, which is quite cruel to other people at the time. And there's a bit of nastiness about some of them, especially towards others. This is not a nicey nicey American team movie where they go out looking for sex and find love along the way. It's an authentic tale of girls going out to get what they want. But the thing about this film is, the more that it's time that you spend with these girls, the more they grow on you, especially as you start to get to know them. You get to know their various personalities and the lives, and basically you forget to feel real sympathy for them, because you get a sense of the lives that they have ahead of them, with some of them nothing really to look forward to. Some of them, even the ones which are well off and seem to have it all together, have this weight of academia on them of, of what they're expected to be. While others are basically just expected after leaving uh, school, they'll just get pregnant and uh, shacked up with uh, in sort of in, in marriage from a very early age. And for some of them, you get the sense that this this party that we're doing is kind of like their their last hurrah, especially because as the as the film develops, you get the sense that some of them who have been friends for years, the friendships are starting to fray and that things are starting to um, you know to, to go awry in some of their lives one of the things that really impressed me about this film despite the fact that it's an absolute riot despite the fact that it's a really funny film with lots of really poignant moments and a really sort of like you know rebellious now attitude is that Many times when you watch a film like this, so particularly with young um, actors and actresses, you'll get an ensemble cast and there'll be one that stands out as the one that you think, the rest are good, but she's going to be a star. And yet, with all of these films, the personalities are written so well and the take on the roles so well of these very different characters is all of them sticky in your mind. You could imagine all of these going on from this film and having a great career in, in uh, you know, in acting. They're absolutely fabulous. It's a wild adventure, really funny in places. And you get a real sense as, as well as, about these girls that all of them are sort of trapped in their own little ways. You've got one character who's... Um, she got cancer and survived, and because of that, she's constantly be called the the school's little miracle. There's another one who's um, questioning her sexuality and how that's going to affect her relationship with one of her friends. It's just a wonderful movie. There's just so much going on in there, and it's absolutely hilarious. I, I was impressed with this film, and again, I sort of went from having this attitude with these girls that you would not want to be in a restaurant sat, sat next to a table with them or on the back of on, at a bus with them to really sort of caring about them and you know and really wanting good things from it but again it holds no punches and the humor is very bawdy some people have compared it to um rita sue and bob too it's a lot more charming than that it's not that films are like a really grim this one's very sort of working class and and it's, it's got a charm to it amongst all the characters and there's also some like wonderful uplifting moments and i i just thought this film was absolutely great okay uh that's i haven't seen that but it's certainly one i wanted to see when i saw the trailer phil have you seen it yeah um i was going to say two things sort of at the top of this is one is another reason to absolutely go to cineworld unlimited screenings because this is another film that i saw on an unlimited show and I don't believe it got released again after that so I'm glad that I went and the second thing well you know as we get to the final film is yeah it's an amazing crop of five films this this time I think they've all been really really good I love this film the touchstone that I would put it to is Rob Reiner's Stand By Me because it follows a group of friends they're on a journey of self-discovery it's lots of incident on the way. It's funny. It's emotional. And the key thing, and I think the thing that makes it so good, is it captures that excitement of that moment in time when you kind of become an adult. It's like a mythological thing in coming of age movies where I'd love to sort of, you know, you look back on your life and there's a certain thing that you can go this story. And they always seem to, the good coming of age stories seem to capture that. And it's just, yeah, it's really funny and it's really, really good. Wow. Okay. Another one. Another one to see then. Yeah. So, yeah, so I don't fancy uh, your, you know, you having to pick which is the best of these, Darren. The top one I'm going to go for is uh, is Sensor. And, uh, you know, because 
all, all of them I loved in one way or another. But Sensor's got that thing where I think it's very discussion-worthy. Afterwards, I, I wish I'd have gone to see it with somebody else because I would have just loved to have sat and had a conversation or over a coffee about all the stuff that was running through my head because there's so much there to get through. And I think it's a film that if you watch repeatedly, you will pick up more in there as you go along. I mean, there's, there's like little scenes like there's a, there's a videotape cover that she sees in a, in, in a video shop and that plays into the ending. And it's a sort of thing like what what is real and, and what isn't. So I think Sensor has... I will go for that because of the sort of, you know, the amount of variety and the fact that it, it squeezes so much into a film, which is about 85 minutes. I, I think, it, you know, that's, you know, that, that's what I really love about it. So that, that would be my pick of the month. So gentlemen, I can safely announce that's a wrap and another Darren's Dash from At The Flicks is in the can. Darren, any hints about next month's quiz? Um... This early on, maybe not, but one I will say Nicolas Cage may be making an appearance next month. That's all I'll say <laughs> on that. just want to say thank you for listening and goodbye. Remember, the Force will be with you, always.